1: Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Today we're doing another episode in our tactical series with Scott Shaw talking about cedar swamps. So uh, if you've ever been in a large swamp in a remote area, um, it can be one of the most intimidating Uh, experiences, especially after it gets dark. Uh, Everything looks the same. Uh, Generally, there's not a lot of ambient light and you can't see very far, even in the daylight. So um, I want to talk to Scott. Scott's family has a history of hunting these big cedar swamps um, since back in the 1800s. And um, they've made a point of going in there, killing big deer, patterning, figuring out navigating these swamps and um it's just something that's intrigued me because it's something that is you know much like killing big bucks that's intriguing but uh, along with that it's it's intimidating to so to talk to somebody who's kind of quote-unquote figured these swamps out um is just definitely someone that I wanted to talk to and kind of pick his brain. And I think that there's a lot of good information in here, um, you know, for, for you guys. And, and, you know, I definitely got a lot out of it and I hope you do too. Um, And so I hope you enjoy the episode. You know, if you like what we're doing, you know, follow along with us on Instagram, Facebook, you know, please, you know, just click that little review button, click that five-star review Um, that helps us to go up in whatever the algorithm that they have through iTunes or whatever it is uh, that you're listening to this on. And then if you really like what we're doing, and you really appreciate this, you know, you can certainly, um, you know, write us a review, tell us what you like, what you don't like uh, things. Those things are are invaluable to us, because it's something that we can help that'll help us create better content going forward. Um, And then as always, I got to do another shout out to one of our new Patreons, uh, Kyle Gensler. Uh, Kyle is, uh, currently trying to take my world's worst bow hunter spot. Um, maybe we'll get into that a little bit later, but, uh, he sent multiple arrows at the same deer this year with, uh, with no connection. So, um, good job on stealthiness and, uh, you know, being in the right spot at the right time. Maybe we need to work a little bit on accuracy and, and things like that, but, uh, you know, that's awesome. And, and, you know, our Patreon, you know, that helps us continue to do, um, fun things, giveaways and things like that. Uh, through the last quarter, uh, we're going to be giving away a saddle. So, uh, we're going to be giving away a full saddle hunting setup. I've taken that on this year, um, to be able to talk intelligently or semi-intelligently about it and about my experiences. And, uh, it's piqued a lot of people's interest. And, and so to give back, to the listeners, to the people that support us, we're going to be doing a giveaway for the uh, a saddle setup, uh, be it through Tethered or Trophy Line, uh, whichever is going to be available at, at that time. So uh, we're going to be doing that. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, you can follow us along um, on our website, which is uh, www.bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com. And if you want to follow along with the Patreon, you want to support the show, you like what we're doing and, um, you know, you you'd like to figure out a way to contribute and give back. You can certainly do that at, uh, patreon.com forward slash bullhunter Chronicles podcast. And, um, if not, no problem. That's not what we're doing this for. Um, just go ahead and tell a friend, please, you know, you know, tell them about the podcast You know, tell them about an episode that you really liked, tell them about something that you didn't like, Say, man, you got to listen to these guys they are so, these guys are idiots, like, listen to this, you can't even believe it, you're such a better hunter than they are. Um, Anything, just let other people know that we're out here doing this, sharing our story, and, uh, you know, we appreciate every single one of the listeners, and like I said, this was a great podcast for me because it it really hits home with what... um, you know I'm used to hunting uh, our property in the UP, and uh, you know if you drive by these big swamps, you always think, how can I hunt that? Where are the deer going to be? Man, it's so big. Um, you know Scott does a great job of, of breaking down kind of uh, how he hunts these, and um, y- you know the best way not to get lost and what happens if you do. Uh, great information in here. Enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for following. Along. <laughs> Hey everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Hunter Chronicles podcast. Today we have Scott Shaw on uh, to continue our tactics series um, to talk about um, big, wo- big woods, swamps, and uh, kind of some of the most uh, intimidating terrain that I can think of. Um, and this is a guy that's been doing it his whole life for generations, his family's been doing it. And I, I couldn't think of a better guy to bring on to talk to, um, to give a little bit of insight on how to break down these big, intimidating swamps. So how are you doing tonight, Scott? Doing very well on yourself. I'm doing good. Um, you know, it's, it's our Christmas time. It's hunting season. So it's, just, that's right. you know, as, as the year, uh, the year goes on and we get the cooler temperatures and with this cold snap right now, it's starting to really feel like, uh, hunting season and it's going to start to get good, you know? So, yeah, it is. This is my favorite time of the year. <laughs> when you wake up and you have that, that cold feeling. And then that, I mean, to me, there's two things. It's the, it's the coolness of the morning, but then when you get about eight, nine, 10 o'clock and the sun comes up, there's that smell of the woods, the fall smell. Right. That's that to me is the, the visceral part of, of this time of year that's what really gets my blood up
0: yeah you know it's, it's really an exciting time of the year and just like you described you know we come across those things those of us that like to hunt so much uh i know that for me personally it really gets me excited when these uh temperature changes take place and you know we've got some leaf drop going on and uh, uh like i said before
1: it's just my favorite time of the year so for our listeners maybe you haven't uh uh poked around on the hunting beast forum or, uh, seen you on any of the Facebook stuff. Uh, can you give a little bit of background on kind of who you are and, uh, why we're talking tonight? Sure.
0: Yep. Um, <clears throat> name's Scott Shaw and, uh, I've been, as you already mentioned, deer hunting here in Michigan pretty much, uh, my entire life. Uh, I hunt the Northern lower peninsula a lot, the upper peninsula and also Ontario, canada are the the places that i most commonly frequent uh in the habitat that i prefer and that i've spent more time in than any other type is cedar swamps uh, so i started off uh, hunting uh, real young and i was one of the lucky guys they had a, a lot of friends and family that were very accomplished hunters uh, and so early in my hunting career i was able to lean on them quite a bit and uh, i've hunted public land uh, pretty much from the start Um, When I was 12 years old and could first bow hunt, you know, I was on public land that year, also hunted some private. But I've been on primarily public land uh, my entire hunting career here in Michigan and and elsewhere. Um, And again, the the cedar swamps are the habitat that uh, my family has hunted more than anything else. So we've been hunting Michigan public land uh, pre-Civil War. Uh, We've got documented um, so we've spent a lot of time on public land and, and kind of know a lot about cedar swamps uh and and the cedar swamps are uh to me kind of like a gated community for the deer uh you know once they're in there uh they're really, really tough to get out and as you've mentioned, it's a very intimidating habitat,
1: so that's kind of my background um been hunting since age twelve and so one of the things I always like to ask people because I think it's relevant, um, especially to the audience, whether it's a new hunter or an adult onset hunter, or, uh, maybe somebody who's switching from private land to public land or, you know, from rifle hunting to archery or or something like that, you know, with the amount of hunting that your family had done previously, how were you brought up hunting as far as the culture was it you know did did your family shoot does were they only shooting large bucks was it uh, instilled in you from day 1 to you know target a certain age class of deer um how did that all come come about
0: yeah no you know we've we've shot does we've shot young bucks we've shot older bucks um, I was never encouraged to hunt any specific size. You know, when when I'd see the, the big buck mounts of my friends and family, uh, some of them were very large. Um, you know, it kind of became a goal to get to that older age class of deer. Uh, but the culture back then, you know, there was no, no pressure on size of buck or, or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> when I first started hunting, my primary goal back then was we had a large uh, hunting camp for the gun deer season, where all the relatives and friends would come together, and so that was something that I really, really wanted to be a part of. Um, and started at age fourteen, which is the first year that I could legally gun hunt. But no, you know, I had no real encouragement to shoot one size of a buck over another. Um, but seeing the success of my friends and family, you know, those those big bucks were definitely what I wanted to get. But I've shot small bucks and medium-sized bucks and some bigger bucks. Um, and, and so it was a, a great culture. It was very exciting. Um, the bow hunting part of it that I did was kind of more on my own. Back then, There, I didn't have a lot of bow hunting uh, friends and family. Um, so it all kind of came together. And uh, um, as the years went by and I became more skilled, I started moving towards uh, the more advanced age class of bucks. Um, But, you know, here in Michigan, there's a lot of areas where a -a two-and-a-half-year-old buck is a great buck. uh,
1: And I've certainly taken my share of those as well. Well, I think that's important to to say because, like I said, when with social media and everything, all this information gets disseminated so quickly these days, everybody thinks that they have to start off on a certain level or – Or there's, and I mean, there are some extremely successful adult onset hunters because they go into it with a mindset of, you know, they're a sponge. They take up all this information, they pick and choose, Mm -hmm. and they're at a different point in their life where, you know, I think as a child, I mean, 12 years old and even earlier today, uh, but I think when, you know, my generation and your generation were coming up hunting, you know, from 12 years old, the 14 years old, um, you just kind of followed the leader and there wasn't mm-hmm. and the, that leader didn't exist, uh, on a phone or, uh, maybe even not in a magazine. It was the people that you surrounded yourselves with. And so it, it changes, you know, th- things have changed dramatically. Um, so I think, uh, the, these newer generations of hunters are kind of getting short changed of that experience of growing and learning and, and, and certainly messing up so um. yeah that's a great
0: point you know uh, there's no social media well, when I was a beginning hunter and um, once once in a while you know you might see a, a field and stream magazine or an outdoor life but you really kind of had to learn on your own and rely on the experience of others and, and also from firsthand hunting you know witnessing your mistakes and making adjustments and, and getting better and better at it. but I agree with you. Um, you know, now when hunters first get into it, there's so much information available. It's almost a little bit overwhelming for a lot of new hunters. And then the expectations are so high because they see all these big bucks on social media and think that, you know, they should be able to do the exact same thing and just walk out there and get some, some really big bucks. But, you know, there's a real learning curve with hunting just like there is with everything else. Uh, but that's a great point that you made. Uh, and I really think it leads
1: to these high expectations and in some ways sets new hunters up for failure. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, and that's, you know, like we talked about a little bit before I mean, that's kind of why we're doing this whole thing is, you know, we're extremely, uh, happy. I mean, blessed hunters to be able to go out and do what we do and, you know, kind of routinely harvest any deer let alone you know you know good age class deer here or there you know us right. uh, on this show and you know the fact that it, it might not be the buck of a lifetime every time um you know my father-in-law myself we get so excited every time you know we say time and time again you know every harvest with the with archery equipment is a trophy Uh, no matter what, because you, you've won and and that's kind of like where our expectations are. And as we get older and we, we grow, I mean, you always set your sights on, you know, more challenge or something, but you know, at the end of the day, sometimes you just want to shoot a deer and (laughs) that's right. That's perfectly fine with us, (laughs) you
0: know? Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, deer hunting to me and, and my friends and family. Uh, it's a very personal thing, you know. It's, uh, we're we're not worried about what everyone else thinks or what people on social media think we should be doing. You know, we're we're out there just like you said uh, to enjoy ourselves and, and to learn, um, and and that's not always going to be a, a mature buck. You know, we're we're learning with does, we're learning with young bucks, um, and I would really encourage people that are new to the sport to, to try to look at it as uh, being more personal, not worrying so much about what everyone else thinks and what their expectations are, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but there's got to be a a starting point or something like that. So for you, when you started out with your family hunting, and, and maybe it was that, you know, 14-year-old, the first deer camp up there, um, how did you set out into these big swamps. And at that time, um, were they just as intimidating to you as they are to myself and probably a lot of the listeners? (laughs) Well, um, when I, when I first started off, you know, my father
0: didn't want me to get lost. So um, it kind of tagged along a little bit. And so I I really wasn't intimidated or fearful because I had uh, him and, and a close family friend or two to rely on when we penetrated these big cedar swamps. Uh, And, you know, they've been going into them for many, many decades and even generations. So um, it really didn't intimidate me nearly as much as when I first started going into new areas of these big cedar swamps all by myself.
1: And that's a a whole different story. And so I had heard you talk on another podcast um, about the things that they were on those uh, hunts where they were taking you, um, kind of along and you were going with them. Um, and you had said that you just thought that they were taking you along and you didn't realize that they kind of were using some sort of tactical type advantages that you had found out later. Um, so what are some of the ways that they're using, um, the, the terrain and things like that in these big cedar swamps? I mean, so for a guy that's just, you know, he wants to, Take myself, for example, and I don't think that it's that, um, uh, unique of a situation. So we have a, a hunting camp. It's a relatively small camp that's adjacent to a giant cedar swamp. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe take somebody through one of those cedar swamps if they're not familiar with it. Because, I mean, when I walk in a hundred yards and then I can't see 10 feet, uh, the world gets really small really quickly. <laughs> you know
0: it it really does and and you you need to be careful uh, if you've never been in one before and you really do need to know how to navigate uh but you know what we do is we had staggered trails staggered on purpose in case if someone tried to follow us in in the snow and and things like that but we had to make um some some dead tree log bridges over giant muck areas uh, to get from point a to point b and point e to point f and and that sort of a thing so we we always staggered our uh, entry trails going in if it was a, a spot that we had pre-scouted in the off season and i think that's a real important thing to do with something like a cedar swamp uh, that's so intimidating the water and muck can be so deep uh, is to have some experience with it prior to just blundering in and, and trying to hunt But the things that we're looking for are different uh, types of edge or transition. Um, You know, it can be something as small as a a creek that you can step across uh, that will have a lot of buck and doe travel and bedding. Uh, That could be the edge of a beaver pond. Um, It can be a transition in tree type, and and all of those things are are where the bucks really prefer to travel and bed. And so that's what we're looking for. We're looking for some islands. And another point about cedar swamps that a lot of people don't understand is you can look at a lot of topos and aerials of cedar swamps and and not really see any transitions. Uh, Some of the islands that I've hunted for decades, um, you can't see them on a topo map, they they don't show up uh, because the difference in the, uh, the elevation is so slight, but yet you're going from a very wet, Swamp that you're walking through and stepping onto a little bit of an island, Um, and if if you don't do on the ground boots on the ground scouting, these islands that I'm speaking of, you can't really see on either an aerial or a topo right now. So, you know, you need to get back there and and find these things. And when I'm going into a new area, I'm always looking up at the treetops because typically. Um, hardwoods or softwoods uh, on an island are going to have more elevation treetops than the surrounding uh, cedar swamp, And again, they're not going to show up on any uh, aerial view or on any topo map. So uh, I would really encourage if you want to hunt cedar swamps to do a lot of, do as much off-season scouting as you can to familiarize yourself with the areas. Guys that just go blundering in there sometimes spend the night and I've rescued a few over the years.
1: Yeah, I want to get into that probably a little bit later in the podcast of, like, how to not have to be rescued. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, use your word here, uh, blundering around in there. So on a Topo, on Onyx, on an aerial map, um, you're not going to be able to see a lot of these transitions, these little islands, um, a lot of that. Um, so when you're entering in some of these new areas, how do you, where do you start? Um, because if it all looks the same, how are you choosing where you're going to go blunder around and, and maybe take us through, um, you know, one of the first couple times that you had, had done that and kind of where, how it ended up. Sure. Uh, it's a lot of work. I'll, I'll preface
0: it with that. Um, but if you're not able to see transitions in cover from an aerial around a topo, you know, you're know you going into a big area that all kind of looks the same. If you don't have a creek to follow, to penetrate in and penetrate out as you're exploring, uh, we literally used to uh, grid search pattern the new area uh, where we you know, take a compass heading and, and move back and forth in a, in a direction and then cross trail it as well. And they're uh, actually writing down with pencil and paper and uh, a Ziploc bag so it doesn't get wet kind of a thing, what we're coming across. And a lot of times we'll actually stumble into some some creeks for example that aren't on any topo map. Um, or we'll come across one of those little micro islands um it's got dry ground but isn't in an aerial view and not in a topo map, and we'll blunder into it with those grid patterns. Um, you know, we wear hip boots typically. I uh, always have at least two compasses because electronics can fail, especially if you go for a swim. You know, if you can follow a plot trail an uh, on Onyx or um, with some other device, that's that's great. Uh, but you do need to be prepared to get in and get out now outside of that, so again, these nearly impenetrable cedar swamps, I always have two compasses with me, but that's how we go about breaking it down. Uh, and the more time that you spend in the area over the years, then um, you're doing the grid pattern, scouting, if you will, uh, and making your own maps by hand, you get a better idea of of what's in there and where the hot places to hunt are. Uh, and a lot it depends on the deer population. And a lot depends on the hunting pressure inside uh, or rather outside of the swamp itself.
1: So when you're choosing to go into an area, what's making you, how do you choose a property? Well, the
0: the big cedar swamps, the more
1: edge that you can find
0: within them, the more desirable it is. And you tend to have better deer populations uh, when you can find cedar swamps like that. So, you know when you when you go back and look at a mile or miles wide view on an aerial, for example, you know if I see some beaver ponds in there, then I'm going to make a beeline for those beaver ponds, things like that. Uh, if I see some age structure change in the trees, and you can see it on the aerial when you zoom in and out, then I'll make a beeline for that edge, and that's that's what I'm looking for. If you're coming in blind uh, and doing the grid pattern, you you just have to find an area that's got some good, uh, excuse me, some good sized tracks and droppings out by the road. And that alone will have me go in and penetrate a cedar swamp to try to, to figure out where that buck is spending most of his daylight hours, if that makes sense.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, I find myself doing it now because in Michigan and, you know, in the, in the lower peninsula, you know, you say that the the term that you use is combat hunting. Um, and I think everybody who hunts public land and in any of these highly pressured States can totally, I mean, it it doesn't take much explanation to figure out what that means. Um, but I find myself looking at these big tracts of land where the access is difficult. And I just kind of look at the center of it and, and look for, you know, where I think the deer would go. Um, but when you get up into those large tracks of land up in the UP uh it's completely different and you know right. for for myself you know my, we've had our our property now for like four generations and you know my grandfather used to go in and he used to go and say there's a ridge back there and there it's not on the map it doesn't look like it and you have to go through like two or 300 yards of like the most dense thick cover to find a, this little undulation. And then it picks up and goes on. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of like what you're talking about where it, it, you have to be in there to, to see it. Now, how are you, um, what kind of sign are you looking for when you go in there? Uh, because I've, I mean, like I say, for myself, I don't have experience going in miles and miles because it's just super intimidating. Um, but mm-hmm. you go in and you find a rub line or, or something like that, but you can only see 20 yards in front of you, maybe. Or, you know, it, the the terrain, at least for us, isn't necessarily all that wet, but it's okay. really... I don't know, pitted, like every single one of the cedar trees is like up and then it goes down into like moss and root systems and there isn't any high ground whatsoever. And Mm -hmm. so you're like at high level with the canopy and I've tried to hunt in there many times and you might see some legs go by or you might see, you know, pick up some movement way off, but the, the amount that you can see or you know, a lot of times, unless like, like you say, you come to uh, some sort of an edge or a pond or something like that, getting in a tree is completely out of the question, you know, right. just because of the way that those, the cedars the grow. Um, so what kind of sign, once you get in there, are you looking for? And then how are you setting up on that because of the the limitations, because I think that that's what a lot of people will run into as well. Sure. I
0: um, should probably preface it with,
1: it really depends a
0: lot on hunting pressure. You've probably got a lot less up in the property that you're describing. Um, but if there's not a lot of hunting pressure, a lot of the bucks will tend to bed out towards the edge of the swamp and, and not be in all that far. That being said, there are bucks that spend their entire lives in and around those big cedar swamps. I've penetrated uh, a very large cedar swamp in august uh ninety three degrees just to satisfy my personal curiosity years ago as to what if any deer would be back there and why would they be back there. I was actually shocked when I came across a a uh, um, it was a it was a beaver dam, but it wasn't really much of a pond, but when I'm walking down the edge of it, I found mature buck tracks, and this is way back in in August. Really no reason for him to have to be back that far, and yet there he was. So the things that I'm looking for when I get back in there that tells me that I've got things going on are droppings, uh, come across some rubs. I mean, if you're in an area that's going to hold some some buck traffic, you should be able to spot some old rubs, even with the limited disability. I, I think that's what really drives most guys crazy in a cedar swamp is they just can't see more than, like you said, 10, 20 feet. Um, to me, a clearing is, you know, if I can see 25 yards, that's a, a clearing uh, in these big cedar swamps. So you kind of learn after you spend a lot of time back there how the bucks are going to move through an area. Uh, the terrain and the water will kind of push you the same way that the bucks are going to go. If they're not being pressured, they're kind of lazy. And, and a lot of times you don't move to where those bucks are going to go through the area all on your own. Uh, so if I'm finding some oversized droppings, uh, you know, those droppings are left year-round and every day If you actually do get to a dry spot and can pick up some big tracks um, When I see these transitions if I come across a transition then I'll, hold, I'll often be able to find bedding as well um, And that's what I'm looking for is to try to figure out where the, the bucks are spending most of their time uh, As bucks mature and get older they really don't want to have much human contact at all and there's no better environment um, for a buck to be in than a a big cedar swamp and and not be bothered and not smell any human scent because everyone's afraid to penetrate very far so i would qualify it with you know there was a time that i thought you had to be as far back in the middle of these cedar swamps as you could possibly be and i spent a lot of time back there and, and sometimes you can be very successful there's also bucks that are right out on the edge of the Cedar Swamp um, that are very familiar with the area and have lived most of their lives there. And it kind of depends on how much rain pressure there is, how far into these swamps most of these bucks are, are going to want to go. Um, but, you know, when I go in and scout these swamps, I can see things uh, such as tree size, root structure, uh, and I can kind of tell where the bucks are going to be moving through that area. A lot of times there's some hidden uh, wind currents that fall through an area way back in all of these big cedar swamps. And, and it's kind of like a river, only these are air currents down underneath the almost impenetrable canopy of the cedars. And the bucks will, will travel using those wind currents. It's actually the same thing uh, with a small creek, even a creek that's only a couple of feet across that penetrates and goes through a big cedar swamp like that. Uh, the bucks will follow what the does will follow it. They'll use it as a highway for bedding to food coming in and out of the swamp. The bucks will use it to transition between doe areas during the rut. So those are kind of the things that I look for to get me onto the bucks sooner
1: rather than later. And so you had mentioned to, um, to food sources. Are there different food sources inside of those cedar swamps where you're not finding oak trees or you know what we would typically think and there's not maybe ag around anything like that right
0: yeah no so the the white cedar which uh they end up eating most of the winter um they'll typically start eating it in the upper peninsula for example uh, late october they'll start finding it in their stomach contents and certainly by early November, it's part of their diet. They don't want to eat it, but as other food sources become less available, they'll start eating more and more of it. But other foods that you can find back there, I mean, especially around beaver ponds or transition areas, you know, uh, deer eat uh, different kinds of moss and lichens and things like that as well. Uh, sometimes they'll find some red osier dogwood back there on the little micro islands. There might be some maple trees with falling leaves. It just kind of depends on each individual cedar swamp. It's not all cedar trees. There are other, you know, some other trees that are back there. Um, but the white cedar itself is the only food that a white-tailed deer can eat in exclusion to all other foods and survive um, a hard winter. Uh, throughout the entire rest of the white-tailed range, there is no other food that they can eat in exclusion to everything else and survive. So the white cedar is very important um, as the food is the primary food source and it's little understood even by our DNR biologists um, as to how they actually utilize it in the really mature stands of cedar. Uh, a lot of biologists think that the uh, the fronds of the cedar what we would call leaves on other trees um, have to be within reach of the deer to be a food source and that's completely false. Uh, so in the really older cedar stands where you've got cedar trees that are over a hundred years old. Um, every time the wind blows, there's prawns falling from the white cedars down onto the ground and the deer can literally just walk around and eat them. So it's not their most preferred food source, but in a worst case scenario, it doesn't really matter what time of the year it is, they can eat white cedar. Uh, and if they've got a water source in the, in the winter with your UP winters up there, you get a really hard one if they're in one of those cedar stands that's over hundred years old, they've got these fronds falling down every time the wind blows to eat, and if they've got a little spring near their bedding area, they've got a water source and they really don't have to come out and eat other things.
1: So in that in that big area, so then there, there's n it's not really necessary to key in on a food source or um, you know, there are going to be travel corridors, but is that why your right. focus is mainly betting? Because that's one of the things where they're going to kind of be a little bit more consistent.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, um, your best bet. If you can get close to betting without disrupting the bucks, you've got a better chance of seeing daytime movement, even back in these swamps. That being said, the swamp, the size of what you're talking about, they're so impenetrable with so Limited visibility, as you've described, that I find rut activity going on during the daylight uh, in these big cedar swamps. Where if you were to just step out on the outside edge of the swamp itself, there's guys hunting everywhere, and that can't happen. Uh, So the deer can take advantage of it, and you can have a lot of all day long running activity back in those cedar swamps um, that won't take place on the outside if if they do try to move. Far at all, they're they're almost shot right away in areas in the lower peninsula. Anyway, it's not quite as bad as in the upper peninsula. Uh, and then in Ontario, the cedar swamps up there; those are two wilderness areas up there, and the
1: least pressured of them all. So, take us through like one of your like a typical hunt um, when you're going into one of these cedar swamps. As far as like the amount of time that it takes to go in there, how far you're going in. And the, I mean, is it a morning hunt? Are you going all day, evening hunt? Uh, uh, kind of a, a a normal scenario for you. Okay.
0: Well, um, in bow season, it's more typically going to be a morning or an evening hunt or in the hunt for a few hours. Um, in, in gun season, I was always willing to get a little more carried away. So, for example, if I came up to your Upper Peninsula, um, and I was able to look at aerials and topos of some very large cedar swamps. I would locate an island or two uh, that that may be a mile, a mile and a half back in that sort of a thing. Uh, do a quick recon on it. And if I confirm there's a mature buck using that island, uh, then you know I start well before daylight, uh, following compass, GPS. I'm in hip boots, carrying my rifle, um, and one buck. Uh, that i took in the up in a huge cedar swamp it took me a couple of hours to get on stand because they had to do a big end around to approach the island uh, without any chance of uh, the buck being able to detect me and so this island in the middle of the cedar swamp had some 10 inch diameter trees that were getting hit and there were tall rubs and i knew it was a mature buck based on his tracks and the rubs and his droppings um, and when I finally got on stand, as I said, it took me a couple of hours to get there in hip boots. You know, if I had walked straight out to the island, uh, it probably would have only taken me, oh, 40, 45 minutes. But, uh, you know, the way the wind, prevailing winds are in that area, every deer on that island would have known I was approaching. So I got there, I set up on a little knoll just off of the island and, uh, about this was November fifteenth up to be a gun season, and about nine a m um pretty sure it was the the big guy approaching long big deer coming toward uh, the edge of the island over where I determined the buck was going to be bedding, um, and he picked me off and he took off uh, and fled and then at 1.15 pm that same day, a different buck. It came down that that island edge, and uh, he dressed out well over 200 pounds. So I was really happy with him. So if you can find these transitions, that's much preferable. Um, If you can look at these big cedar swamps, and you can see an interior beaver pond or where a tornado went through, a blowdown area, uh, anything out of the ordinary, that's really what you want to key in on. Um, as far as what I'm looking for up there. And so that was an example of a, an Upper Peninsula hunt that I was successful on a, a really nice buck up there uh, inside a Cedar Swamp.
1: And one thing about that that's really interesting to me, and it's um, one of the things that I, I keeps coming up um, as far as like questions that I have, is twofold. Um, so on that particular hunt, using that as an example, and you're taking that, long path out there, um, to go to an area that you, you scouted and you figured out where it was one. Um, what happens if you're bumping deer on your way out there? Does that matter at all? Um, or not, because it's not where you're going. Yeah, It's it's not my destination. Uh, you know, I certainly don't
0: want to bump my target buck if I don't have to, but if I bump other deer, I'm, pretty sure that i've got a, a really good idea of that bucks patterns and where he's moving i'm not too worried about it i'm going to continue on and hunt uh, if i bump some other deer i just keep going yeah it's not going to stop me it never has and
1: you know, i've been very successful by not worrying about that okay because i think that that's where a lot of guys i mean i mean i know for a fact that i've done it and I've bumped deer and then I'm like, Oh, I should, you know, do I need to make a decision? Do I need to do this? Um, you know, so to, to hear that, um, and say, well, it doesn't matter. And then, so what is your mindset when your target buck just busts out of there? Did you make any sort of shift or did you try to change your location so that you could, you know, kind of make the next step or did you just, you, ha- you hung tight in the exact same spot and said, "Well, maybe another buck's gonna come and use it, and that's what happened or or how did yeah. that, what's the mindset there
0: well so, sometimes the bucks will end up later approaching from a different direction, trying to figure out what happened. sometimes they're not exactly sure you know what happened um so I stayed put uh didn't didn't move, stayed right where I was, and all got ran over by the buck that I shot. Uh, The little knoll that I was on, I think, was his actual intended bedding area. And then the really big buck uh, was on that island on uh, just this slight elevation on the downwind edge of it. Uh, And that's where he preferred to bed when he was using that island. But, you know, there's a lot of rut activity going on in the Upper Peninsula around November 15th as well. So I was hoping that another buck would come through, and in fact, one did.
1: Okay. And, and so for, for our listener, you know, you, you keep talking about, um, these, uh, these beaver ponds and you've got some really great information about bedding and using these ponds and how the deer use them. And, um, you know, actually I I was listening to some of the other podcasts and I, I referenced them to my brother, um, who's, it's not in a cedar swamp, it's just out in some, around some ag fields. And, uh, you know, there's a pond there. And, you know, using kind of like your information, I mean, we located the beds like to a T. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be in the cedar swamps. But how are you seeing bedding where these uh, bucks are, are bedding around these ponds and this this water area? Sure.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, the potholes of water in farm country, like we were talking about, uh, those are big buck magnets. Uh, I have an acquaintance that uh, kind of made a a career out of shooting big bucks in potholes of water uh, mm-hmm. in farm areas. But in the big cedar swamps, you know, bucks don't always do something. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to tell you that they always bet on the upwind side of the pond watching downwind or anything like that. They may do it quite often, but not always. And, and sometimes they'll actually be on the other side of the pond. Um, and there's reasons for it. It might be for protection or so that they can watch their their approach trail. The the habitat makes a difference on on where these bucks bed around these beaver ponds. So, you know, we can speak in in generalities, but they're not absolutes. And what I found that a lot of these bucks will do, and I kind of developed a hunting technique of my own for this in in gun season in this example, is a lot of times uh, if the pond is smaller um, when they approach it, They'll be on the downwind side of the pond and scent check and and clear the bedding area on the other side. Um, There may be some thermal activity from the water, but it's not going to override an actual wind that is blowing. And so they'll scent check and clear that uh, other side of the small pond, and then they'll actually j-hook around the pond, either on a dam or or some other crossing, uh, and get into some really heavy cover on their backside bed down, and they can watch across the pond. So understanding that sometimes that's what the bucks do around these ponds in gun season, I actually approach on the downwind side with anticipated bedding across the pond, and, and I realize that they're going to be watching over in my direction. Um, and so I get as close as I can. I'll have a couple of sticks in a stand, and I'll get just up off the ground so I can see out across the pond. And I've shot bucks on the other side of the pond when they've stood up in their bed. I've shot bucks when they moved 20 feet away from their bed, and I've shot bucks that come down to the edge of the water to stage. A lot of times a buck will get up, he'll come down to the edge of the water. He may drink, he may not, and he'll just stand there and look, listen, and smell for several minutes while he tries to acclimate to his surroundings now that he's up and out of his bed. Um, now with, with bull hunting, you have to, you know, you can't shoot all the way across the pond with your arrow. So you've actually got to get over into that J hook area where he crossed over to the other side and set up and tried to take him there. Now, bucks don't always set up that way. I found bucks that set up on the downwind edge of the pond even, but again, there's a reason that they do that, you know, it's because the other side uh, isn't conducive for them to be. And I've even found bucks bedded crosswind to the pond, adjacent to the pond. So I think the takeaway from that is that there's generalities around these beaver ponds. uh, But they're really great places to hunt because in a big woods environment where you don't have agriculture, these beaver ponds have everything that a buck needs. Because the sunlight is penetrating the edge of the water, it's really thick and it provides a lot of food early season they're eating leaves and that is after leaf drop um, you know they're, they're browsing on the brush along these ponds so it has food, water, cover and doves and so everything that a buck needs to have in his life can be contained in these little micro environments of a, a beaver pond back in these cedar swamps and so if I can spot a beaver pond uh, in any big woods environment, not just cedar swamps, that's why I make a beeline to it. I'm almost always gonna find a potential target buck in those areas. Not always, but
1: most of the time. And so as we come through this this hunt, um for for guys that are new to this or that wanna venture in there and so they've you know they've located an area they've went in there and did some some scouting whether it's in the um the summer or preseason or you mm-hmm. know even during the season they've gotten in there um uh, they've done their hunt they're successful or they're not um now it's dark <laughs> okay right and <laughs> so and
0: people are very fearful of that i get it yep
1: and so um you know, I think that that's one thing that it's always lost on the, on the scouting, no matter where it is, is, you know, you're in there under ideal conditions when it's convenient for you, you can see, you can walk, you can, all this stuff. And then, you know, at the end of the, the hunt, you know, you're, you now have to navigate however long, well, you know, let's say on your, you're not concerned about your wind current or, anything like that off of this island and it's a 45 minute walk out um tips for navigating um staying calm <laughs> you know understanding for uh maybe that first time you know I, and, you know you listen to guys like Dan talk about the guys that are afraid of the dark and they leave you know 20 minutes before it gets dark um yeah. when they're not that far back and so now you're right you're a long ways away so 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 how well, do you, you point people yeah. in that direction
0: <laughs> well you know when you're hunting these big cedar swamps if you're if you're hunting it alone someone really does need to know where you are you know at least have a general idea um you know of where you're going to park and head into the swamp kind of a thing so that if something did happen you know people have a, a place to begin to look um but you know if you're careful and you you mark a trail uh whether that's with ribbon or reflective tacks or whatever makes you comfortable you know if you're not really comfortable with remembering the train and compass navigation or um you know most guys now are following plot trails on their gps and that's, that's fine they will get you pretty close but you have to be careful in cedar swamps because if you're off by a little ways and you have no visibility it's not like hunting in any other environment um you know you you don't want to have to swim across a quarter mile wide beaver pond you better be able to hit that mark uh where you're going to cut across that dam or go do an end around so you know i i think for guys that are just getting into it a really great place to hunt is the edge of the cedar swamp you're going to find a lot of buck sign on that area and if they're not too heavily pressured they'll be right along the edges Um, great place to find scrapes along the edge of a a cedar swamp uh, during the rut phases and it's great places to hunt when you get a little more um, advanced with your scouting one of the biggest things i would recommend to people who want to hunt a cedar swamp is as soon as the season's over you know, get back in there in in the daylight where it's easy to get in and out and start scouting those areas out. And you're gonna see all the buck rubs and the tracks and the droppings uh, and start to formulate a plan for the following year. If you have the time to do it, that's the optimal time to get into these swamps and find where all the deer were, where they were bedding, where they were traveling, where the rut sign is, Uh, really a key time uh, so if you, if you don't have a lot of experience with cedar swamps and, and you're going to do it this fall, and you've never been in there, uh, I would focus on the edges of the swamp. There's some great buck bedding and buck travel right on the outside edge of it. Um, and you could also do some, some what I call driveway hunting. A lot of times if you're able to detect on an aerial uh, that there's a little micro island just, in, just inside the edge a ways a lot of times the bucks will bed down, surround themselves with water and thick cover for protection and then have a short driveway exit uh, where they're going to come out to the edge of the swamp. And so for a beginner or someone that's going to try it for the first time that hasn't had time to scout, that's probably the best way to start off. Just don't go blundering, you know, a mile back into Cedar Swamp and, and then hoping that you're going to be able to make it out even with just your GPS you know, you got to be a little more careful than that if that makes sense
1: sure um and then that, that that driveway hunting that you're talking about kind of gets me into one of the other questions that I wanted to to touch on um you know everybody wants to get trail cam pictures And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people want to put them where they hunt or where they're expecting to hunt so that they can go in there and check the camera and say, yes, this deer was here um, during the daylight where I'm going to be hunting. Um, A lot of times, I'd say 99% of the time, with the exception of cellular cameras and stuff like that, that's probably the last thing you want to do because you have to go in and check them and it changes everything you know right 100 percent um in this case with the cedar swamp being almost you know impenetrable to do on a regular basis um to check that camera to the the amount of work and maintenance that it would take to to do that um how are you using trail cameras in these cedar swamps you know to to locate and, and pattern these bucks
0: well I'm i'm using them to find a buck that I want to hunt in an area but typically it's in the outer transition areas. You know, I'm not going to put that camera right uh, at the buck's bedding area. You know, I'll get one picture and then I won't see the buck again uh, as soon as he picks up my scent. I'm talking about an older buck. Uh, sometimes younger bucks do some some foolish things. Sometimes the two and a half year olds will you know, re- repeat visit a trail camera in these swamps. But when I I don't have a lot of trail cameras, but when I do putting the, put them out, um, I've identified buck travel corridors, not just for bedding but also for the rut, and I can get an amazing number of buck pictures on some of these trail cameras. Um, but it's all about knowing where to place them, where these buck transition areas are in and out of bedding. I think everybody thinks that uh, the same buck always beds in the same spot all the time. That's Seldom the case uh, Depending on wind direction and, and time of the year. For example on the island of the Cedar Swamp may have three four five Half a dozen different bucks at different times of the year that bet on that island. Other times there's does Betting in the, the exact same spot. So when I use the trail camera, um, I'm paying a lot of attention to the date, the wind, in the conditions of that day uh, to set up and hunt that buck. But it also gives me information on future hunts and future years that's probably going to be duplicated when the wind's blowing that same direction in that same area with similar conditions. So that's kind of how I use the, uh, the trail cameras. Um, I rely on real woods sign even more than trail cameras because I don't have enough of them. You know, and what I like to do is I'll go to a, a small funnel that's close to buck bedding, um, but not so close that it's going to disrupt the buck bedding there or other bucks. And I'll move in on these little funnels. Maybe it's a creek crossing or a, a terrain transition or a change in vegetation and tree type. Um, and I can actually see a rub or a set of tracks uh, or a scrape, it's what I call singular sign, and when I, when I find this singular sign, if it's fresh, then I act on it. Same thing with the trail cam. If it's a, a fresh pick and I can relate it to that buck bedding area where I suspect or already know that buck's bed, that's what I'm going to move in
1: on. So you're taking that picture, regardless of the time of day that it was taken, and saying, The wind was this, the date was this, the travel direction was this, and then backtracking that timeline. So if it's right Right. at dusk, he wasn't very far away. If it's two in the morning, you might have to look back a little farther and you're using your information that you've gathered in the woods or why you placed that trail camera there, your knowledge of the area to figure out where to hunt. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I think that that's one of the things that gets overlooked to some degree. I think everybody wants to put a trail camera where they know that they're going to get pictures yeah, and then that they can hunt nearby there um, rather yep. than just saying, okay, I just want to know what's in the area so I can go to the spot that I know of. Right. And when
0: you mentioned that trail camera pick at two AM in the morning, a lot of people don't understand what a buck's capability is, especially during rut periods. You know, if you're talking to three, four, five year old buck, um, you know, it may have been a quite a job for you to get back there, but that's nothing to a buck. Uh a lot of times they'll come out of these cedar swamps and travel two, three, four, five miles in a night, come back in an old pattern, swing back around and come into that bedding. So When when you're seeing a picture at 2 a.m. in the morning, that buck may have came from a long ways away. Um, And that's a good point that you made there. So, you know, never forget that uh, a mile of cedar swamp to a mature buck is nothing, uh, whereas it's a real job for us. Uh, They can get in and out of that mile pretty quickly. They don't even slow down. It's not a big deal to them.
1: I guess one question on that note, when you talk about the – the the amount of area that they cover and the amount of travel and the amount of walks that may be using a singular bed or a bedding area. Um, Have you over the years picked up any patterns um, like that are repeatable, not just for one deer, but kind of like across the board? Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: um, Probably the finest example I've got of that is uh, one of my father's deep cedar swamp stands. Um, You know, as you know, the gun deer season always opens up here in Michigan on November 15th. And uh, when he would penetrate to that stand, it was in between a couple of big beaver ponds that had doe bedding areas on some islands around them. The bucks would transition between those doe bedding areas. But he, for 14 years in a row, shot a buck on November 16th uh, between 9 and noon. And so a lot of what we had going on there was some of the bucks that live on the periphery of the swamp and and outside of it that knew the swamp was there. After the the giant influx of hunters on opening day, they were making it back into the interior of this big cedar swamp where they couldn't be disturbed uh, and would carry on with rut activity and never come across human scent um now 14 years in a row uh is far too much to be a coincidence and it was always on november 16th the second day of the gun deer season so you know that's a, a huge pattern uh that he was able to take advantage of we used to joke around with him and kid him and say okay it's november 16th we'll be listening for that seven Meg between nine and noon and you know, 10.30, we'd hear the 7 mag go off, We, you know, a mile away. So, absolutely, there's exploitable patterns of when the bucks are going to show up. And another thing that I point out real quick is these swamps have what I call local bucks uh, and transient bucks. So, the local bucks live there in and around and just outside of these swamps most of their lives. But during the rut periods and when the leaves come off the trees and they lose their cover, Uh, And then when the winters kick in, we have a lot of transient bucks that move into these swamps from other areas that that don't spend a lot of time there. I was chasing a transient around two falls ago that uh, didn't show up in the cedar swamp I was monitoring until uh, about the second week of December. And uh, he showed up and he was just an absolute monster. Unfortunately, I, I never got close enough to get a shot at him. But I'm um, pretty convinced that he'd never been in the cedar swamp uh, up until that time frame. So there are definitely patterns that can be exploited. And it really depends on if you're hunting local bucks that are there most of the year. Or if you're hunting these transient bucks that all of a sudden, for the first time in a calendar year, the buck bedding area becomes active. you got some big tracks and maybe a fresh rub 100 yards away from it. That sort of a thing.
1: And so that, the spot that you're talking about, that's the the November 16th spot, um, is that a bedding area? Is it a, a transition area? Or, I mean, what makes it, it so it is. consistent?
0: Well, it, it had doe bedding, uh, for one thing. It was in between a couple of other doe bedding areas that were on some beaver ponds. And it was actually a cedar island um, surrounded by cedars that were underwater, flooded, if you will. Um, and so you had about three different doe families that these bucks could move in on there. Um, but a lot of them didn't get that far back into the interior of the swamp until all that pressure started pushing them back there. And so that uh, November 16th became quite an important day for that deep interior blind. Wherever the bucks had been, uh, they had moved away from it because of all the human
1: activity and guns and, and sent, uh and ended up back there. Well, it's interesting to me to think about and to think about that scenario there because with it being on November 16th, I mean, the opener's always on the 15th, it's right. not always on the first Saturday in November or the, you know, so yep. that, that same date was then on every day of the week, two t- you know, two times yep. through. Um, so it didn't matter if the opener was on a Saturday where you're going to get, you would think that you'd have more hunters or whatever. So that kind of lends to the amount of pressure that there actually is, you know, yeah, around that, that, that area. That
0: particular area, yep. That area there, that swamp, uh, when you step out of it, there's hunters all over the place. It, you know, some of them will go 100 yards into it. Uh, but if you penetrate 200 yards into it you know, those, those bucks don't have any human scent back there and they, they carry on with their regular activity but yeah that was all hunting pressure based and that's the reason that they were there in that particular area on November 15th after the the day's hunt was over you know we'd grab a quick bite to eat and then we'd do a drive around that huge cedar swamp um, on a road and, uh, you know, we we see some bucks that were vacating other areas head back into that swamp. You know, we almost never saw a buck going out of the swamp. They were all going into it because of all of that hunting pressure.
1: So if you had, you know, one thing to say to uh, new hunters or guys that were, have been dabbling in the, these swamps and things like that, that would Maybe help them. You know, the one tip that you think is is made it manageable, successful, whatever. That's kind of turned the corner. One one thing that you would say would help them more than anything else. Um, what would you say to that guy? Well, I,
0: I again, I'd say don't get too carried away at the at the start. Get on the edges. You know, get on the edge of the swamp. Find those scrape lines, those rub lines, those bedding areas that are that are on the outer edge, and, and work your way in. And in fact, uh, you know, there's there's great buck hunting right on the edges of these swamps, and you don't have to get too carried away. So I think the the best recommendation I could give someone that's new to it is start on the outside, and if you want to work your way in later, then go ahead and do it. But there's plenty of great hunting right on the outside edges of these cedar swamps. And if those bucks
1: don't get pressured too much, you know that's where they're going to be. And and that just brought up another thing that I wanted to to ask you. Um, you know, you're 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 going in so far. You're going into this somewhat unforgiving terrain. Um, you know, for all intents and purposes, are these hunts like one and done? You know, where there's a lot of bed hunting that where. You know, you kind of got to kill them on the first shot unless you're, um, you know, doing an observation or something like that. Um, are you continuing to hunt the same areas, the same spots, as long as it's a good wind and things like that? Or are these kind of like one and done and you're kind of staggering where you're hunting?
0: Um, they're not one and done, but they're certainly not one in many days either. Um, a lot of times if the conditions are right, like you mentioned, with the right wind, uh, and I'm pretty sure that I haven't been detected, you know, I'll hunt uh, that spot two days in a row. Um, once in a great while, um, if I had a near miss on day two and I think I'm still in the game, I you know I might hit it a third time. Um, but I've shot a lot of bucks the second time that I've hunted the stand, so it's a little bit different from a lot of the other environments that, that we hunt. Um, if you hunt once and are, are fairly confident that you haven't been detected, uh, some of the deer populations are so low in some of these cedar swamps, depending on where you are, that uh, I'll definitely give it a go if the conditions are right for more than one day.
1: Okay, because you know, one, you 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 mentioned your grandfather stand there that was successful on the second day, the yep x amount of years in a row you know, he's not shooting those bucks on day one. So, um, uh, I, I know from my experience that doing that both mentally and physically is a lot of work and say on a week long hunt or something like that, it can get discouraging real fast. Right. So,
0: yeah. um, well, you you need to have more than one spot to hunt, but, um, yeah, you know, I, A couple of days in some of these remote areas uh, shouldn't have too much of an impact. You know, a lot of times I'll shoot the buck the first day that I sit there. And so it makes sense that uh, you wouldn't want to hunt too much after that first day. But if the conditions are right, I'll definitely hunt the stand more than once. Now I'm not going to hunt it three, four or five days. And that's not going to be conducive, uh, to, to getting a nice buck in, in most of the places that I hunt,
1: but I'll definitely hunt it uh,
0: a couple of days for sure.
1: Okay. And then finally being, um, having a history of, a, a as a first responder and, uh, you know, helping guys out of these swamps, uh, yep. do you have advice for people who find themselves in a situation where they are Are lost or are are not confident where they're at and they're starting to have that breakdown moment where okay what do i do now you know that little the panic that sends that sets in Mm -hmm.
0: yeah don't don't go charging all over the place and that's unfortunately what a lot of these guys get lost do they panic uh and they start charging in a direction that they think is a good way to go to to possibly get out when, in fact, they may just getting themselves in further and further. If you're not going to make it out and you're a long ways in there, um, you know, just try to set up to, to survive the night. It's not a bad idea to have something to start a little far with if you can. But otherwise, uh, try to get as dry as you can. Uh, get some shelter set up, something to bust the wind to protect you a little bit. And uh, just ride it out until the next morning. You know, a lot of times when that sun comes up, if it's not real cloudy, you know, you can get a direction. Um you know, the sun's starting to get daylight in the east and, and you know that you came in from the north, um, you know, you can you can use that. But it's so thick in the canopy, sometimes that's not gonna help a lot. Uh but, you know, try to stay warm. Don't go charging around uh getting yourself lost worse than you already are. You know, people are gonna come looking for you and it's even as dense as these cedar swamps are, it's surprising how far a voice will travel. Um, You know, I've been going back in a mile or so to hunt and heard someone yelling help. And, you know, they've crossed miles during the night coming in from the other side uh, in a panic. And uh, when I, Actually got to where I could see them and I called out, you know, they always run at me with this crazy look on their face. Um, you know, I have to calm them down a little bit and tell them that I'm going to take them out and, and that sort of a thing. So, you know, if it's going to get dark and it's obvious to you that you're not going to make it out, um, try to set up a little bit of shelter for yourself to get through the night and uh, take it back up in the morning and, and know that people are going to be looking for you.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great information, you know, like I had mentioned to you before, you know, our, our property is to the North is a giant swamp. And from the first time I ever set foot on the property, I had a compass in my hand and they said, if you get lost, go South. There's a road that's to the South to the North is a bad idea. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like, I've, I've been there and I, you know, I remember being 12 years old and getting twisted up and I was just on our property and just 50 yards from the, the road. But it was, you know, that, that panicked feeling. And so you have to stop and think and then say, okay, well, if I just head South and then inevitably you'll find something that at least for me. That I recognize, and so that that was the thing. But you know, in the in the evenings, when it gets dark, there is no ambient light. There is there is not a barn light. There is not a, That's exactly a road right. a radio there's tower. There's no
0: farmers light. There's no anything like that. And, and if you're in a mature stand of cedars, you know you might have a. A little three foot hole, very up, you know, way up at the top of the trees, where you can see a star or something. So, it can be pretty intimidating, uh, for sure. One of the things that I did when I was younger, um, and even now, it's not a bad idea. I always found that if I actually had a topo map with me of my hunting area, you know, that covered miles, um, that always was kind of like a security blanket for me before I got really experienced. At, spending a lot of time Uh, and so I would encourage that to someone that wants to go into one of these big swamps is to have that map Um, it kind of gives you a sense of knowing where you are in your direction um, rather than just walking around blindly and again when you've got your GPS you know batteries fail and and they wear out and if you fall into the water uh, and all that sort of a thing uh, they can really fail so I always kept, you know, a topo map in a sealed Ziploc bag in my pocket or in a pack. And, uh, you know, with a couple of compasses, um, you can't get into too much trouble. It might take you, if you get a little lost, you get a little wayward and out of your way, you know, it might take you a lot longer to get out than normal. But like you said, if you've got that map and you've got those compasses uh, and you've got any kind of a light source at all, you are going to be able to, to move in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I mean I th- that's all great information. You know, it, it's it's hard to you know. It, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this because uh, unless you have someone, you know, like like you had in your life, you know, growing up, that's just always been through it, and you you were able to kind of do the I, I don't know the the beginner's guide to cedar swamps because your family took you on how they did it and then you got to do it you know with a buddy with a with your dad with you know then on your own but you were still using the same area and then picking up that information and then applying it elsewhere Um, you know for most guys they either grew up hunting field edges and uh, you know, small stands of of timber, or it, it haven't have only lived in an area of in an era of GPS and Onyx, and they think, well, I'm just going to bust through here, and I'm going to have cell phone service, and everything's going to be fine. And um, you know, that's that's definitely not the case when you when you get into those areas. So, you know, to to have you kind of talk through your experiences both on the the hunting side of it, but the, the navigating what to look for in the train and everything I think is really helpful to, to a lot of people. So I do really appreciate you coming on and talking to me tonight. Oh yeah, so, absolutely. So uh, I think that's kind of all we have for this evening. Um, one of the things that we always ask is, um, you know, what is your, your bow set up and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, your, your bow hunting equipment?
0: Yeah, it's It's actually uh, pretty simple compared to what uh, most guys have got out there. Uh, My bow sometimes I'll just have a single pin or I'll use an eradicator site. that has got the, the uh, radioactive glowing dots on it, just a single site and that sort of a thing. Um, But I've always, you know, I started off uh, always being sighted in 20 yards and then making an adjustment with that single pin. So I'm not one of the guys that's out there shooting 80 yards or anything mm-hmm. like that. You know, I'm a kind of a 40 yard or less guy. When you're hunting big cedar swamps, you're not going to get a 40 yard shot anyway. So mm-hmm. uh, it works works out pretty good for me. Pretty simple setup, uh, nothing too fancy. And what what bow are you shooting? Well, I've got one uh, that's not being made anymore that was uh made in Wisconsin and then the other one uh was
1: and I still have a Matthews MQ32. Okay. Yeah, it's I mean, it's always interesting, you know, John um who's still on his uh anniversary vacation here. Um is a is a bow guy and he breaks them down and tears them apart, rebuilds them and Builds his own own strings and, you know, has a target bow and, you know, shoots, you know, out to a hundred and is really, really into the archery side of it. And it's always interesting to talk to, um, people and their, I, I guess the, the differences in like the ideologies of, you know, equipment versus woodsmanship versus, um, you know, the priority is deer versus, you know, all I need to do is shoot them at 20 yards. So I'm going to, this mm-hmm. equipment is going to do it and the time spent on, on, uh, on different things. So, uh, that's kind of why we do it. And, you know, just to kind of, like I say, for, for everybody listening, it's, it's always interesting to see the, the differences. Now, um, uh, we've, we've yet to run into anybody that's shooting, uh, still the old aluminum arrows, but, uh, we have right. had some some thunderheads on here so
0: <laughs> yeah yeah well when i first started off you know i had the bear grizzly 45 pound recurve no bowsight sight
1: shooting with finger gloves and i killed a lot of deer that way so i'm somewhat of a dinosaur i guess well i mean that's you know frank uh you know my father-in-law and his buddy um you know they they were of the same era of yep. you know my father-in-law's left-handed he was shooting a, a right-handed recurve left-handed because well, you know a long time ago they didn't make a lot of left-handed stuff and right. uh you know his buddy killed his first deer and with three arrows in his back pocket standing on a tree limb and that's you know we're we're not that far removed Um, from that, but it's just the same thing with social media and Onyx and and everything, you know, technology now moves so fast and information is disseminated so quickly that, um, you know, the, the equipment changes just as fast. And I think people get, get lost in the, well, this new equipment must be better. Um, and it's going to help me kill deer because social media said so. And right. that—that's not necessarily the case. Very true. So, yeah, I think that's all I got for you tonight, Scott. I, like I said, uh, one more time, you know, just thank you for coming on here and and uh, and talking with me and kind of spreading the the information that you, that you've got because I think it's it's very helpful.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, just one final note on cedar Slavs, um and and why they're such high value is it's really the only uh, environment that we have in our hunting um, where there's always bucks dying of old age um, if the swamp is of any size. So if you've got a cedar swamp with any size to it, there are going to be bucks dying of old age there. That's certainly not true in uh, almost every other environment that we hunt. So I thought I would add that, and uh,
1: thank you. Oh, no problem. It's our pleasure. So thank you. just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right
0: here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country. Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.